Father, we adore you. Just sit in this place with him right now. Don't leave it. Sit there with him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of your glory. Lord, you truly do inhabit the praises of your people. We feel your presence in the room. Lord, speak your word over us this morning. Speak a word of life to us. Speak a word of light to us. Change us from the inside out. That we can shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life to a broken and a hurting world. We're here for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all be seated. We're talking about the power of our words this morning. Um, I, I really just have a sense, especially based off of that worship that we just experienced, that we are here to receive this morning from the Lord. He's going to challenge us in a few areas, but overall we are here to receive from the Lord this morning. We're going to take communion at the end, so I want you to begin thinking about that and getting your hearts right now for that. Communion is another example of receiving. Communion is not a ritual to be performed. It is a blessing to be received. And, um, and as, we're, as we were just praying and worshiping and, and thinking about the, the power of our words, right? The power of the words that we sing to the Creator God of the universe. He gave our words power so that our praise would be meaningful. He desires our praise. He loves our praise when we adore Him and just sit at His feet. And He just began to, to speak over this body as we were worshiping. And Kirsten, He spoke over you directly. And He says that you create beauty. And every time you create beauty as an act of worship, it's like somebody having an original thought. And the Lord sees that uniqueness, and He sees that beauty, and He loves how you worship Him. He spoke over you, Ashley, that um, there, there's, there's, not a, there's not any uh, dilution in the words that you speak. Every word that comes out of your mouth is pure and of the Spirit and directly to the heart of God, and He treasures that in you. Lydia, he spoke over you, and he said that, um, he said you're a wonderful mother. He said you're a, a wonderful wife, but he said he treasures you as a daughter. He said, when, when you crawl up in his lap, it's the favorite time of the day. And he's knitting your family together, and your family will crawl up in the lap of God together as a family. So hear that word. Ray, he spoke over you. He gave me this picture of, of, a, of a cannon, right? And, and, and this picture of it being reloaded, and the ammunition being shoved back into the cannon. You are being reloaded, and he is going to fire you out and release you for his kingdom purposes. Judy, he spoke over you. He just gave me a picture of a single rose in a beautiful garden. And he says, you are the beautiful rose of his garden. He loves the way you look. He loves the way you smell. You make everything else around you beautiful, and he treasures you. You are his rose 
Greggy spoke over you, and he, he just uh, he gave me the picture of the wise owl in the room. You, you imbue our body with wisdom, and here's what the Lord wants to say to you this morning. He wants to say that um, one of the things he treasures most about you um, is the fact that um, you are a behind-the-scenes minister. Your ministry and your work goes under the radar and is underappreciated, but not by him. Not by him, and he wants you to hear that this morning. So this is the power of our words. Um, this was an extremely difficult message to prepare. When you're, when you're going to teach on the power of the tongue and power of the words, everything you think you're going to speak in a given day, the Lord's like, see what I'm talking about? <laughs> so my wife probably enjoyed it. I probably said a cumulative you know, total of three words this week. It's been a quiet week at the, at the Williams household. Um, it was also one of the hardest messages to write just because um, our words are powerful. Every single word. Uh, we're going to see in God's scripture, we're going to be held accountable for. Uh, so it was, just, it was just editing and editing and editing and praying and praying and praying, and that's how our speech has to be. So um, we better pray. We better pray before this sermon um, that the Lord would speak to us. Give me, Father God, Lord, with the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be pleasing unto you. Uh, would they be found in you? Would they be sourced in you? Lord, this body does not need the words of man. These people need the word of God. They need the word made flesh dwelling inside of them. And they need his, the, your spirit filling them up. So speak your word of life over our body this morning. Everything that is not of you, let it hit the ground and die. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's start off with a story about a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran theologian born in 1906. Uh, many of his theological writings dealt with the church's role in the context of the world. Uh, what, what is the church's role in the context of a sinful world and, and in community? How are we supposed to live as members of the body of Christ. And, and it's understandable that, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer would, would think on these things, the, the church's role in the context of sin and evil, uh, because he would watch from Berlin uh, as the Nazi regime rose to power in his home country. He, he was resolute in his stance against the Nazi dictatorship. He was an outspoken member of the resistance. He helped Jews flee from the country. Uh, talk about putting your money where your mouth is. He was also a, a member of, a, of an underground group uh, plotting to assassinate Hitler. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words were very powerful. And this is one of his most famous quotes. I'm sure many of us have heard it. This quote speaks to not only the power of our words, but the power of our silence. He says, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. His words 
uh, both spoken and written, were so powerful that, that his words would land him in a German prison. From prison, he would begin to pastor and minister to the other inmates. He, he would continue his theological writings, and even, even posthumously, they would make books gathered from his writings from inside prison. He, he, he's a fascinating character. I, I, I encourage you to study him. He's really kind of one of the closest things to the Apostle Paul that I see in modern-day history. It's really a fascinating study. Um, he would eventually be transferred to the Nazi concentration camp, Flossenburg, um, where they would find out his involvement in the plot against Hitler. And on April 9th, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would be hanged. The camp was liberated on April 23rd, a mere two weeks later. His final words were very telling of how he viewed uh, both this life, but more importantly, the life to come. Uh, right before he was hanged, he said this, This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. What a perspective. What a kingdom perspective. You see, you see, during his life, Bonhoeffer found himself in the middle of a context where he could visibly and tangibly see the battle between good and evil, the battle between light and darkness, the battle between life and death. And he, he would not stay silent. He could not stay silent. He chose to speak out against evil and darkness. De uh, Bonhoeffer understood uh, the power that's found in our foundational verse this morning. You got that? Uh, Proverbs 18, 21, if you got that. It says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. We've all read it, but let it wash over you. Let that word wash over you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it uh, will eat its fruit. See, the tongue is a, is a small member but it wields an enormous amount of power. According to this verse, the words that we speak have a power that leads to one of two things. The words that come out of our mouths lead to death or life. This isn't a long list. We can, we can, we can hold our attention on this long enough to get through this list, even in the age of cell phones and TikTok and like. Death or life, those are the only options. The reason we're talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer this morning is not because he understood the power found in this verse. You and I understand the power found in this verse. The reason that we're talking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer today is because he harnessed the power found in this verse. Because he utilized the power found in this verse. So if we're not speaking life, what are we speaking? If we're not speaking life over our spouses and our families and our childrens and our households and our work, what are we speaking over them? You see, not only did Bonhoeffer understand the power contained in this verse, but so did Adolf Hitler. Hitler would spread death throughout Europe and the Asian Pacific through his words, his hate speech, his propaganda, his anti-Semitic rhetoric, his self-promotion and self-aggrandizement. It was the power of his words that led the Nazi regime to power that led 
to the persecution and annihilation, near annihilation of the Jews. Hitler is a real life and horrific example of what we see in James chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. If you got that. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And listen to this, church. Set on fire by hell. That, that, that phrase right there, that last phrase, set on fire by hell, really caught my attention um, this, this week. This verse effectively, sell, effectively says that hell itself ignited and fueled the words spoke by Adolf Hitler. Hell itself. And, and, and should we uh, uh, start removing ourselves too much from the story, we're reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, that says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This was our condition before Christ. We, this this is the, the pattern we once walked in. We followed the course of this world directed by Satan himself. Think about that for a second. And it's no wonder that our world is filled with speech that demeans women, that distorts manhood, that elevates sexual perversion, that promotes hate, that abhors truth, that spreads lies, that destroys families and devalues marriages. The dialogue of this world is being set on fire by hell itself. And, and listen, to this, listen to this tactic. <laughs> the devil is so uh, deceptive. Hell is fueling and igniting speech that denies the very existence of hell itself. The world is denying the very existence of hell while being held under its deceptive power. And we must understand the power of our words. We must understand the fact that the enemy is effectively and actively wielding the power of the tongue unto death. Why? Not so that we can cry out in despair. Not so that we cower in fear. But so that the Lord can call us to action. You see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was no different than you or me. He was placed by God in a specific place, at a specific time, for a specific purpose. He simply chose to speak life. In face of the death that surrounded him, he spoke life. And he spoke life even as the rope, the hangman's rope was being placed around his neck. Are we willing to go that far? Silence, church, 
is no longer an option for the believer. In, in fact, it never was. <laughs> we agree with Bonhoeffer's claim. Not to speak is to speak. Love demands that we speak. And we see this beautifully when we couple together two verses. John 13, 35 says this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. What church? If you love one another. So the world will know that we're disciples. The fact that we're disciples is evidenced by the fact that we hold love in our hearts for those in the world. And they can see that in our words and in our actions. And we couple that with Matthew 12, 34 that says, For out of the abundance of the heart... The mouth speaks. Let's skip to verse 36 and 37. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. That'll make your week a little more quiet. For by your words you will be justified. That's power. By your words you will be justified. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And by your words you will be condemned. There are power. There is power in our words. You see, the tongue is actually a dependent organ. It does not speak independently. It speaks what it hears from the heart. Your speech is the evidence of the condition of your heart. You can say that you know Christ. You can say that you prophesied in His name. You can say that you did many mighty works of healing in His name. But you have to know Him. You have to know. So we must speak. And our speech should wage war against the power of death that the enemy is speaking. As people of Fireworks Church, I'm going to borrow a, a phrase from Kirsten. As Fireworks Church, God is calling us to level up our speech. He's calling us to come up higher with regards to our speech. He is calling us from natural speech to supernatural speech. And here's our big idea for the morning. We should be a people marked by supernatural speech that is life-giving, kingdom-expanding, and miracle-working. Do my words bring life? Do my words join with Christ and the sacrifice He gave on the cross to bring about salvation, to, to expand the kingdom of God. Do my words agree with the miracle-working power found in the cross to save, heal, and deliver? So first of all, our speech should, uh, supernatural speech should be life-giving. Uh, so, so the internet's all over the place uh, as far as this fact, so I'm just going to give you the number that I've settled on. But the, the average person speaks about 16,000 words a day. There, there, was a, there was a spurious, 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 uh, there was a fake study. <laughs> there was a fake study, uh, I think it was like back in 2003, that said women speak on average 20,000 words a day and, women, and men speak about 7,000 words a day. Uh, I think that's been debunked. I think the fact is on average we speak about 16,000 words a day, uh, which is a lot. Um, 
I think that's the beauty of what the Lord was speaking over you, Ashley, right? There's no dilution in the words that you say. Everything holds its full weight and its full power. Um, we, we can learn from that young lady right there. Um, so my question for us this morning is, out of the 16,000 words that come out of your mouth on a given day, what percentage of that comes from the flesh? And what percentage of that comes from the Spirit? Jesus, in his own words, declares in John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says this, It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus is saying if our words are to bring life, they must be sourced in the spirit. They cannot come from the flesh. They must be outside and above the natural. They must be supernatural. If they're going to truly give life, our words must flow from the Spirit and contain the Spirit and pour out that Spirit on the person that we're talking to. This is life-changing stuff. This isn't isn't a thing that you can just kind of tack on and think about and try to get better. God is calling us to sacrifice our tongues on the altar this morning. So I'll return again to a question that we asked previously. If our words are not from the Spirit, who are they from? If our our words are not filled with life, what are they filled with? Life-giving words are not only sourced in the Spirit, they not only flow from the Spirit, but it is vital that they point to Jesus. In in the prologue to John's Gospel, in chapter 1 of John, Starting in verse 4, John's Gospel says, Speaking of Jesus, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light who gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, the Jew, and his own did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, both Jew and Gentile, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but born of God. Jesus illumined to us, the, the, the redemption available in the person and work of himself. Jesus is life. In Jesus is life. And simply by calling on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of our sins, we have life. The name of Jesus should never be far from our lips. The, ne- the name of Jesus should never make us embarrassed or scared of all the words that we could ever speak, of all the words that could possibly come out of our mouths. The most powerful word that we can ever speak is the name of Jesus. It is the name of life, and it is the name of light. 
speaking the name of Jesus, provides us the light to fend off the darkness, for us to walk into the room and the darkness vanish. Jesus is the light of life. The darkness has not overcome him, and it will not overcome him. So our words should be life-giving. They should be sourced in the Spirit. They should point to Jesus. But secondly, this morning, we're going to look at the fact that they should be kingdom expanding. We've been given a mission to seek and save the lost. Uh, I, I want to give a, a simple definition of what God's kingdom is. I, I came across this as I was preparing this week. Um, simply put, God's kingdom is this. What everything looks like when Jesus gets his way. What a simple, if, if you need a word to speak to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and you need to present them the hope that is found in Christ, the, the hope that exists for those who are the children of God, tell them that one day there's going to be a day where everything is going to look like if Jesus had his way, because he's going to have his way. Um, we have, the, the words that we speak, we have to speak from a kingdom mentality from a kingdom worldview, from a kingdom perspective. John, can you play that, that video? I'm going to walk us through this. So I created this little, this little graphic to give us a visual. So there's the earth. We've got three groups of people when it comes to, to our perspective and how we see the world. We have the unsaved, we have the children of God, and then we have the religious. The unsaved have a worldly focus. The, the children of God, and what we're talking about today, is having a kingdom focus. And the religious, they point to themselves. They have a self-focus. The unsaved, because of their worldly focus, seek to possess the world. The religious, because they're just worried about their own salvation and they're punching their ticket to hell and getting swooped off the face of the earth. The religious seek to abandon the earth but we as kingdom people are called to colonize the earth. Go therefore into all nations in my authority, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. That is our goal. Our words must be kingdom colonizing, kingdom expanding words. A more... A more plenary and verbose definition of God's kingdom is that when sin and death and the grave are fully and finally dealt with, when the church's union with Christ is fully consummated at the marriage supper of the Lamb, when the new Jerusalem descends on Mount Zion and the new heavens and the new earth and the dwelling place of man is with God and the dwelling place of God is with man where we reign and rule as co-heirs with Christ in the presence of God for all eternity and there is no death or mourning or weeping or gnashing of teeth. That is the kingdom. And that is life-giving. Share that message with a broken and hurting and lost world and let's watch them run to Christ. See, kingdom-expanding words should also be life-giving words. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of condemnation. So our goal is not to possess the earth. Our goal is not to abandon the earth. Our goal is to colonize the earth. We are on a kingdom-expanding mission. But listen, we've been given a finite amount of time. So I've used the, I've used the historical analogy. Uh, 
uh, uh, Bonhoeffer earlier, so now I'll switch to a sports analogy, right? Um, in, in most team sports environment, clock management is crucial, right? When, when the clock is ticking down and it's getting near to the end of the game, right, and, and you're behind and you've got to figure out how to, how to get the necessary points to achieve the victory, clock management is critical. And, and there's really no better example, in my opinion, than the, the two-minute offense in, in football, right? So the two-minute offense is, every team has it, right? It's, it's the, the clock is ticking down, you're behind, there's only a, a set amount of time left, and you've got to come up with the points you need to win. And so every team turns to this prescribed, rehearsed plan of attack. This, this, uh, this group of plays that have a high rate of success that they've run over and over and over again in practice so that when everything is on the line, when the clock is ticking down, when it's do or die, they can perform at the highest level. And um, everybody knows that when the clock hits zero, the score is final. There will be no more time left to accrue any more points to achieve the victory. So that's the, that's the, that's the two-minute offense. Now, the, the, the team that's running their two-minute offense, they're going up against what? A defense. And that defense has a decision to make. That defense can stick with the aggressive style of play that they've play, been playing with the whole game that's got them to this point where they're in the lead at the waning stages of the game, or they can shift to what our football fans in the audience know as, as what? Say it. Prevent defense. This prevent defense, <laughs> we have one football fan in the crowd. Thank you, Chris. I know you all were thinking it. Um, of course, I think half the guys were like, look, I can't say the wrong thing. Then I'll be completely out as a, as a non-football fan. Um, prevent defense is really, um, it's, a, it's a shift in mentality. It's a shift in thinking. It, it's moving to a bend but don't break mentality. And, and, so, and so what you do is you drop back more people. You, you give the, the, the offense more room. Uh, and you're, you're willing to potentially give up a few yards each play. And, and what you hope to do is prevent the offense from getting behind you and picking up a bunch of yards in a chunk play, throwing the ball down the field. Uh, but all our football fans in the audience, Chris, um, <laughs> knows how maddening it can be to watch your team up on the, up on the scoreboard, minutes winding down, talk, click, clock ticking down, and watch the other team systematically march up the field to kick the winning field goal or, or score the, the winning touchdown, right? I think Tom Brady is probably the best ever at executing a, a two-minute offense. And so what God is doing is calling us to level up, to be the, the Tom Brady's of life-giving, kingdom-expanding speech. I wanted to paint that picture for you to give us a framework to understand where we are in the redemptive history of Jesus Christ, the redemptive and restorative plan of Jesus Christ. Um, and I want to tell you what happens. I want us to focus on what happens next because that gives us clarity to our mission and helps us understand the urgency with which our mission must be accomplished. 
So, so returning to the football analogy, I want to I want to establish this truth. This is something the Lord really wanted to point out today. We talked about the two-minute offense, and we talked about the prevent defense. This is what the church needs to hear this morning. We are the offense. We are on the offensive. We have the ball. We have the authority to call the next play. The church is not walking in the power and authority that it possesses in the Holy Spirit simply and only because we've punted it away. And there's no more time to punt the ball. There's, there's, there's no more time to sit back on our heels and be satisfied to play a, a prevent de- defense, hoping the clock just ticks down and that God swoops down and, and, and rescues us from this evil place. That is not a kingdom mentality. That is a religious spirit. Not only are we the offense, but guess what? We are the victors. <laughs> we know the end of the story. We are called to march down the field. We, Fireworks Church, are unstoppable. The victory party has already been planned, and it's much greater than Disney World. It is the kingdom. So we win. Yeah, we win. But listen, more precisely, love wins. Love wins. We're on the side of love. I know the world doesn't think that Christians are on the side of love, but our speech can go a long way to changing that point of view. The clock is ticking down, and of course we know it's not a game. We, we, that's just an analogy. We know that it's a battle. Just like Bonhoeffer, we're, we're watching the battle between good and evil, life and death. And the stakes couldn't be higher. The stakes, brother and sister, are eternal. Mm. we have to see the world through a lens of love that filters everything that we think, say, and do in order that we're always focused on seeking and saving the lost. Our speech must be winsome for the kingdom. It must preach a winsome gospel. This is not an us-against-them game. This is an us, this is a them with us game. This is, an, this is an us for them game. This is a God for them game. We're called to rescue people from their sin as we have been rescued by the free gift of grace available through the blood of Christ, which we'll sing about in a minute. The book of the, to, to the victor go the spoils. The book of Revelation in chapter 2, verse 7, says this. We, we read it the last time I spoke. To those who conquer, God will permit him to eat from the tree of life that is in paradise. That's much better than Disney World. That means that all who have called on the name of Jesus will have life, will have eternal life, dwelling in the presence of God as a child of God. Alternatively, God's Word has a sobering Reality for those who have not trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Romans 2, 5 states that, uh, but because of your hard and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The stakes are high. The stakes are eternal. You see, God's wrath is His love 
activated against sin. God's, let me say it again, let me say it from this side of the room. God's wrath is his love activated against sin. See, sin is the separator between God and man. God will not allow that separation to continue forever. His wrath will be poured out against sin. The problem is we've willfully coupled ourselves with sin. So he had to provide a means of separating ourselves from that sin. Christ's perfect life and substitutionary death completely satisfies God's holy and righteous judgment against us. God's wrath is completely satisfied in Christ. And to all who would call on his name, to all who would believe, that life is available. We read it in Romans chapter 10 at our Tuesday evening Bible study. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9 says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the, the word of faith that we preach. See, Sometimes when we think about people that the Lord may be calling us into conversation with, people that the Lord might be using us to, to bring to salvation, we, we begin to think of all of their sin and all of the problems, all of the baggage that they bring with them, all of the drama that's going to unfold if I engage with them. But we can't do this. We can't do this. We have to view them as somebody who God is calling to himself. It says, because if you confess, this is the simplicity of the gospel church. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If there's anybody in this room this morning who has not yet met Jesus Christ, who has not called on him for the forgiveness of sins, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So here's the power of your words. All you have to do today is say, Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, change me. Jesus, call me a son. Jesus, call me a daughter. Today is your day of salvation. And, and, and God's love for us is so great that he desires all men to come to Christ. 2 Peter 2, 3, uh, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But, church, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Don't put Christ, if Christ is calling you to himself this morning, don't put him off. The Lord will return like a thief, and the clock, when the clock hits zero, it's too late. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. The message of the gospel is inherently life-giving. It's inherently patient. It's intended to expand the kingdom, not fill the caverns of hell. The world thinks that we serve a vengeful and a hateful God. He is, he is being patient. Why? So that we would speak. So that those of us who have been transformed by his love called children of God, who are set to inherit the kingdom of God, those of us who will reign and rule as co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God forever, he's being patient. Why? 
Because we have to speak, and we haven't been speaking. You guys understand the power of your tongue. I don't have to preach that message. What God is calling us to do is harness the power of our tongues. He is calling us to unleash the power of our tongues. We cannot stay silent any longer. We, as Fireworks Church, we will be a people of the presence, but we will be a kingdom people who speak life-giving words, who speak kingdom-expanding words, who seek to save the lost. Not only must our words be life-giving and kingdom-expanding, they have the power to be miracle-working. Listen to this. If the tongue in the flesh is set on fire by hell, then supernatural speech, sourced in the Spirit, pointing to Jesus' finished work on the cross, is fueled by the power to save, heal, and deliver. Amen. Amen. Supernatural speech produces miracle-working power. James 5, verses 13 through 18. says, Is any among you suffering? As, as we read this, don't, don't read ahead, don't read ahead, you're reading ahead. As we, as we read this, just think of the simplicity of this. It's not complicated. Is it, now you can read. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. There is no interpretation needed of this passage. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And this is what I want to key in on for our body this morning. Verse 17. We all love Elijah. We all love the miracles. We all love the mantle. We all want the mantle. But verse 17 says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. What did he do? Was he special? He, he was special in so many ways. But was he more special than you? No. What did he do? He prayed. He prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Our words have the power to affect the weather. Sourced in the Spirit pointing to Jesus, seeking to save and love the lost. Our words have the power to save, heal, and deliver. Everything you see in James chapter 5 is, is one of three things. Prayer, praise, and confession. All acts of the tongue. All acts that flow from our mouths. Do you see the power that we wield, Fireworks Church? So where is this supernatural speech crafted? Where is it honed? Where is it practiced? Where is it polished? It's created and practiced. 
and polished in the Spirit. God's Word in Ephesians chapter 6 says to uh, pray at all times in the Spirit. Supernatural speech is born in the prayer closet. It's born in intimacy. It's born in relationship with God as, as our times of intimacy change our hearts. This, this has to be a, 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 an inside-out transformation. This is, this is not gerrymandering our tongue. This is not using guilt and shame and condemnation to try to get you to speak nicer words to your co-workers or to your spouse. This is God asking us to draw so close to Him that He transforms our heart, that He conforms us from our image to the image of His Son. Because out of the abundance of that heart, the mouth will speak. The tongue is a dependent organ. Focus on your heart, not on your speech. It's a, the supernatural speech is also grounded in the Word of God. As we read, study, meditate, and apply His Word, it will transform our hearts again, and it will transform our speech. Just think about Jesus' ministry. When he was led in the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, and the devil threw all kinds of promises at him, and accusations at him, and scripture at him, what did Jesus preach back? Scripture. Scripture. And he preached it rightly, because he knew it. Our words have to be uh, laced with scripture. They have to be rooted in scripture. Our words must flow from the word that we have hid in our heart, that we might not sin against him. Have you, have you spent that time hiding his word in your heart so that it transforms your heart? Have you spent that time getting to know the spirit of God so that you hear his voice? We all, we all know the verse, right? My sheep know my voice. If, if, if his voice sounds distant and far off, it's because he's whispering at you. He just wants to draw you in closer. He wants you to lean in so that you can hear him clearly and rightly. God is calling us to be a people of supernatural speech. When, when, when a member of Fireworks Church walks into a restaurant, the atmosphere should change. But, but how, how does that practically work? It's not, it's not just stepping into a room with the presence of God. We have to manifest that presence of God. We have to either speak or act in a way that represents Jesus to the world. We cannot walk in silence. We cannot walk in just praying and releasing our peace and praying that the Lord might use us when we're really not interested in stepping out of the boat and saying risky things, right? Sometimes life-giving speech is risky. Sometimes life-giving speech is embarrassing. Sometimes we might have to lose our dignity in order to speak words that bring life to people. But that's what God has called us to do. I want to invite the worship team back up. Um, I, I just want to echo the, the sentiment that the, that the Lord laid out there at the beginning of the service. I believe that, that this service is about receiving. Um, and I'll repeat what I said earlier. Uh, Communion is not a ritual to be performed. It's a blessing to be received. And so what I want to do this morning is uh, the band's going to begin playing once they get set up, and we're going to sing a beautiful song. 
that just points to Jesus, that points to his blood and the sufficiency of his blood and the fact that his blood is the only way that we can be forgiven. It's the, it's the only thing that makes all of this life possible. And, and as they play that song, we're going to sing it together. But, but while we're doing that, I also want you to come forward after I pray to, to receive the elements. And I want you to take the bread, and I want you to take the cup, and I want you to hold on to it. And we're going to take that together here in a little bit. But, but I believe on a Sunday where God is, is showing us the power of, of, of our words, that he wants to speak some words over us as well. So um, you guys will receive the elements, come back to your seats, we'll pray, and then I'm going to lead us through just a time of God speaking his word over you. We're going to take the elements, um, and then we're going to sing that, that song in full. We're going to stand to our feet, and we're going to worship God. And, and the Lord just told me to say this at the end. As we're, after, the, after we take the elements, as we're standing and singing, if there's anyone in here who's suffering, let's pray. If there's anyone that's sick among us, come forward. We will anoint you in the name of the Lord. And we will declare healing over you. If there's anyone in here who needs to confess their sin and come to Jesus for the first time this morning, that is what this space is for. That is what this meal is for. As believers, we are celebrating the body broken for us on the cross. We are celebrating the blood spilled out for the forgiveness of our sins. We are celebrating the fact that by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will now inherit the kingdom of God. And we simply want to invite you to be part of that same family. So we're going to sing. Allow the words to wash over you as you get up and receive the elements. Take them to your seat, and we'll continue the service together. Let's sing. As they sing, y'all come. <laughs> 